big city type of thing and, and it felt like uh, kind of like an O.J. Simpson level trial for us. In our particular area, which is Northeast Wisconsin, uh, it was an enormous news story. the local side of it of people that have maybe lived through it and don't want to have to live through it again and then you've got this interest from uh, not just outside of the state of Wisconsin but just you know probably outside of that immediate area that it that finds it a fascinating case and it is an interesting case. Let's not forget, there was a 25-year-old woman who was murdered, and, and the idea that it's a, you know, that it's a good tale, rubs people the wrong way. Hello, and welcome to the full story, USA Today's podcast that goes behind the scenes in journalism. I'm Jim Lenahan. And I'm Shannon Ray Green. Now, Shannon, I've been watching this series on Netflix called Making a Murderer. You've heard of it. Yes, it's been in the news nonstop. People are obsessed with this show. It's really taken off. It debuted sometime like just before Christmas, but I didn't really hear about it until the last week or so and started to watch it. And it seems like every day there's more and more news reports about it. This public interest in this documentary, which follows a very unique murder case in Wisconsin. Law enforcement despised Stephen Avery. Stephen Avery was a shiny example of their inadequacies, their misconduct. No one ever intended to do anybody any harm by this. Uh, uh, we firmly believe that we had the uh, guilty party at the time. This was one of the biggest miscarriages of justice I ever saw in 20 years of criminal defense work and thousands of cases. It was like the same old Steve was back. He was happy, he was smiling. I did tell him, be careful. There was just something I felt. I said, when I talk, Tony's not done with you. They are not even close to being finished with you. Within our newsroom, there's been a lot of talk about the connection that our company has to this case. That's right. So the USA Today Network includes a lot of local media organizations across the country, and some of right. those are right there in the heart of the area where this particular murder case took place. And so we thought it would be a good idea to talk to the journalists who are there to get their impressions of the case itself, what they remember from covering it, what the public reaction has been to this documentary. They have a local perspective that we do not. And it's amazing that this is their hometown and have it be at the, in the center of national attention. Let's hear from them. We could not write about it enough. We could not produce enough video. That's Joel Christopher, 
who at the time was a signing editor heavily involved in the day-to-day -day coverage of the Steve Avery trial. The live streams were incredibly popular considering what the technology was back then. We live streamed gavel to gavel and, and you know, at the time you didn't know how many people would watch it. Would, would there be uh, two people watching it? Would there be hundreds of people watching it? That's digital editor Terry Lipschitz. It, it was very successful. I mean, we had, I think at any given moment, we, we might have had hundreds of people watching the stream in the middle of the day. So it felt like that kind of court TV, OJ Simpson moment for us. This is John Lee for Gannett, Wisconsin Newspapers, outside the Calumet County Courthouse with an update on the Stephen Avery homicide trial. This afternoon's activity was taken up by defense summation by defense attorney Jerome Buting, who started by telling the jurors that he and Avery do not believe the police killed Teresa Halbach, but he said rather the investigative bias by police in a sloppy investigation led them to Stephen Avery and allowed the real killer to set Avery up. Now, th this is a good time to talk about the Steve Avery case overall. Steve Avery was tried and convicted of a rape that happened in 1985. He served 18 years in prison and later it was found that another person had committed that crime and Steve Avery was exonerated and released from prison in 2003. That's really incredible. That's something that doesn't happen often. Yeah, that's incredible enough. But then, here's the real twist in the story. Two years later in 2005, he's arrested on a murder charge and immediately he professes his innocence again. And even though he ends up being convicted in that case, his defense was that he was again wrongly convicted and he was set up by the police. We've had murder cases up here um, before and since, and it, it's never quite gotten to that level of interest. And, and it, it just felt like, you know, kind of like a documentary in the making or a movie in the making. Now, before we get into the meat of this story, we need to acknowledge one fact. Neither Joel nor Terry has yet watched Making a Murderer. And even though that may seem kind of odd, you have to put yourself in the place of someone who was consumed by this case at the time, living and breathing it. Here's Joel Christopher. It was such a grind. It was such a long trial. It was very consuming. Um, and it, it, the idea of returning to that just doesn't appeal to me much. And now Joel is the vice president of news for the USA Today Network's Wisconsin media properties. So he's not only dealing with having covered this trial at the time, nine years ago, but now also being involved in the media coverage of the resurgence of interest because of the documentary. We knew it was coming out, obviously. We had absolutely no idea it was going to explode into the national consciousness the way it did and we've been having an ongoing conversation about the struggle that we have as a local news organization it's it's both a news story and an entertainment story uh for the national audience and and that entertainment story aspect of it 
makes people locally very uncomfortable and, and people in our news organization very uncomfortable. We all know that distance uh, has a factor. Distance both geographically and in time change how people view events. Um, but you know, for people who lived and experienced it here, it's it's still raw. It, it, it's still the tragic death of a of a young woman with a family that's deeply embedded in in, in this part of the state. Um, so to, that entertainment piece of it is it, it can be really uncomfortable. We knew that they were filming a, uh, some sort of a film, a documentary at the time. And so you knew at some point it would come out and, and then it did. And you just kind of think, OK, it's coming to Netflix. And, you know, from that standpoint, I guess I didn't think it would necessarily get huge. But we've also seen with some of the other series that have gone through, you know, like the Jinx on HBO, for instance, is just, you know, it, it's one of those phenomena too, that that um, in a short period of time blows up and, and captures everybody's interest. And so so that's been a little bit surprising. Um, it, it was funny to see like Seth Meyers doing a, a promo to his uh, late night program and, and kind of spoofing uh, the series. This is a collect call from a staff member at 30 Rockefeller Center. Yeah, Seth. Yeah. Yeah. You got to come back, you know. I've only been out two weeks. Yeah. Two weeks I've been gone. Yeah, well... To, to kind of race to that level, I don't, I don't think I could have predicted that, and I'm not sure anyone else could have. Much of our staff, if not most of it, has, has seen it, including those who uh, were part of our staff when they were covering it. There's nothing that surprised us in there. Maybe I'm just complaining when I say this, but you know, some of the frustrating coverage that you see coming out of it is, um, you know, sort of this, oh, yeah, you know, nobody considered the fact that it could have been so-and-so or so-and-so or so-and-so. Well, sure they did, and, and it was reported extensively 10 years ago you just weren't paying attention when it when it was first reported um so there's a lot of the amateur sleuthing that you see and um you know the, by people that weren't paying attention to the coverage or weren't around for it initially um but aren't doing a whole heck of a lot of homework either to to see whether that ground has been covered previously what we're trying to do is make sure that we're giving people access to, to that information so that they can make a more informed um, decision about what their opinion is. The the interesting thing, I guess, is the, the national versus local uh, level. So on, on the national side, there's obviously that, that interest. You know, you're seeing uh, national reports all over the place. You know, the producers talking to different sources, um, obviously a huge interest from, from people that have subscribed to Netflix. The, the interesting thing then is the local aspect where, you know, we'll see comments on Facebook on the story saying, you know, enough already. Can't you leave the Hallback family be? You know, I can't believe these filmmakers are trying to, to profit off of, of Teresa's murder. So, Shannon, one thing I noticed in watching the documentary is there seems to really be a change in public opinion in Wisconsin between when Steve Avery was released from prison after his wrongful conviction, to when he was arrested the second time. when In that period where he was out of prison, he was almost like this folk hero. He, you know, 
paraded around and showcased and politicians were trying to get close to him and and it, it always was this feeling of like people wanting to make good to him in some way and that makes sense yeah but what the documentary portrays is how quickly that public perception of him changed after that arrest now remember he's still not convicted at this point he's merely accused but according to the documentary people turned against him immediately and joel says that really was accurate it w- it was like flipping a switch uh in, in people's opinion of him there was definitely uh, a, a strong bias by the public in favor of the prosecution throughout the the lead up to the trial the trial and 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 the appeals process um, that's only just begun to be broken through because of the release of uh, Making a Murderer. And one thing I didn't expect to hear from them was the concept that local TV coverage of the arrest and later the trial had a big impact on the public's perception of the entire case. You know, there was an interesting divide, I think, among the media that covered it. Uh, a lot of the particularly local broadcasts, I think, um, gave the prosecution almost unfettered, unchallenged access to the public. So they, the prosecutors were really able to shape that narrative uh, that you know, Stephen Avery is a, you know, an evil man, a, um, a able to f- formulate this really complicated um, plot to kidnap and, and kill Teresa Halbach. Um, I want to be clear, I'm not saying he didn't do that, but the narrative that was laid out from the second that she disappeared and they started to focus on on the Avery compound and Stephen Avery and specifically was, um, it was amazing how much um, the prosecution was able to make that case in front of the public before they ever had to make it in a courtroom. I recall, um, you know, fairly far into uh, the trial, I was concerned about the, the, the just continuing pro-prosecution feel of, of all the coverage. You know, even if it's not yours, it still affects the public perception, right? And, and you had these two defense attorneys, um, Jerome Butin and, and Dean Strang, who, I mean, whatever your opinion about the case, these were, these were incredible uh, attorneys, very, very smart, um, uh, truly committed, no question about it, to their client and to, to the pursuit of justice. And, and I remember asking one of the reporters to, to do a profile of them and, um, and he did, and he, he did an excellent job of it. And the public reaction to it was um, really negative. Like, why would you spend time profiling these guys who are defending this you know, slime ball? And it, that's disturbing to me as a journalist that, that the public wouldn't even want to know um, half of the story. I'm also disturbed when I see the flip side of the reaction of the documentary too. Um, you know, 
Stephen Avery is a complicated man, um, but he's he's certainly no angel either. He, you know, there there nobody questions the the absolute injustice that was um, that that he suffered for for being in prison for eighteen years wrongfully in prison for 18 years but he's not exactly what you would call um, you know a great guy either outside of that you know with the netflix series now it seems like from a national perspective there's much more sympathy for stephen avery is that different in your region it very much depends on how closely someone paid attention to the trial and their age, frankly. Um, so if, if they're not old enough to recall the trial, uh, the, the reaction locally is the same as it's been nationally. Absolute outrage that he was railroaded by um, police and prosecutors. Uh, those who witnessed the um, investigation um, into her disappearance and then the, the discovery that she had been killed and, and the trial of Stephen Avery and Brendan Dassey um, are disgusted and outraged by by the documentary. Um, that it's, a, in their view, a complete um, whitewash of, of, of a tragedy and an insult to um, the family and, and the police and the prosecutors who, who put... Uh, a very bad man behind bars in, in their view. Now, Shannon, one thing that you touched on with Joel is this notion that in today's media, you know, anyone can have an opinion. It's not just the journalists. It's the it's anybody. It's the audiences. It's it's whomever. They can go onto social media, express their opinion, and pass around information. Now, that information may not always be complete or 100% accurate. Now, social media, to a large extent, has really been fueling the popularity of making a murderer, making it this real phenomenon. And what people are sharing may not always be the full story. I'm not a journalist, and uh, who's ever really thought that the gatekeeping role um, was something that uh, th that we should fight to to retain. I you know I have fundamentally faith uh, in, in people to to seek the truth. This challenges that view at times. Um, it, that at least in short bursts of time, that may not always be accurate. Um, but I think, fortunately, with the, the full volume of um, information available to people, that ultimately um, more truth surfaces. And, and I think as people um, do a little more research into the, the, the full facts of, of Teresa Halbach's um, murder and, and the trial, that they'll get a more nuanced view, at least that's what I hope. But it is a little frightening that when you absolutely eliminate gatekeepers, how quickly uh, and thoroughly public opinion can change on something. That's, that, that's frightening to some extent. How is your news organization dealing with 
the um, the controversy, I guess, and, and some of the, the charges that the filmmakers did not tell a complete story. What we're trying to do is um, present it every opportunity that we can, um, the full context and the nuance of, of the events, right? Uh, it's not black and white on either side. There are a lot of people that are involved in the case you know, from Stephen Avery, Brendan Dassey, to the Avery family, to the police and prosecutors, who all are, are flawed human beings, as we all are. And, and we're trying to point out that uh, this isn't black and white. And there are legitimate questions on all sides about how the investigation was handled, how the prosecution was handled, um, what Stephen Avery's role was in Teresa Halbach's disappearance and murder. Um, it's perfectly reasonable um, for people to have um, to, to come to the final conclusions that prosecutors came to and it's perfectly reasonable to come to the conclusions that um, the documentary makers came to. Uh, I, I would have no problem um, with the with the intellectual process that got somebody to either of those places. And that to me just points out the complexity of the case. And, and we're trying to provide uh, that view in the coverage that we do. I have a personal question for you. What's it been like for you having shown up in the footage that airs in the Netflix series and what's the reaction been like in your personal circle? It's a little uncomfortable. Um, and that gets back to the point that I made earlier where to the national audience, um, in some part, this is entertainment, uh, and it was never entertainment and never will be entertainment. Um, to those of us who, who covered the trial. Um, so, two to three times a day over the last several weeks, I've gotten a message from somebody I know that says, Hey, I saw you in this documentary. And it, you know, it's usually a like, you know, Hey, I saw you as an extra in a movie or something. Not that you were there covering the murder of somebody. So, you know, there's an acknowledgement of, yes, that's me. Um, and isn't that interesting, but it's not, cool and it, it, it's not something you uh that, that you're proud that you're in uh it's just a fact you were doing your job in in um unhappy circumstances i understand people's reaction that they're surprised to see somebody that they know in there i get that um but i'm not really sure what my reaction supposed is supposed to be beyond yeah that that was me, certainly. Um, but I don't think it's a, 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 you know, it's not a highlight of my life that I'm in the background of a documentary about the murder trial of a young woman from where I'm from. It's, it's funny how you know, almost 10 years later, it's, it's still with you in, in 
ways that you don't expect. So the trial was held in a place called Chilton, Wisconsin, which is a very small town. Um, you know, it's the county seat and it, and it had been moved from Manitowoc County to Calumet counties. So that's why it was there. Um, so there were only, I don't know, maybe three places that you could really get lunch in, in certainly within the time frame of the breaks that they gave uh, during the trial. So every journalist that was covering it there was frequenting these, you know, mom and pop diners or oftentimes this being Wisconsin, they were bars that serve food. Um, so you got to know everybody really, really well, including people in the community. Um, I can recall one time that we went to lunch. There were probably five or six of us. Uh, we get the tab and everyone whips out credit card or debit card and the waitress is like, uh, we don't take credit cards and none of us had cash. She said, oh, don't worry about it. Just come back and pay tomorrow. So, you know, it was that kind of experience. There was a bar there that was called Cheers, and it actually uses the Cheers logo from the bar in Boston. I still can't believe they haven't been sued. Um, and I have a pint glass from there. We all had, we all got pint glasses. The, the night that the trial ended, every journalist that covered it went to this bar and, and hung out and drank and talked for, you know, several hours. Um, so I see that pint glass you know, once a week, certainly in my own home. And it, 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 it's funny how that does stick with you. Yeah. And that, and that to some extent probably is some expression of a, a release, right? To have right. at least that, that memory, right? Absolutely. That's exactly what I'm, I'm getting at. Yeah. Is there anything that you wish people knew from your perspective as uh, running the local news organization that has covered this extensively? Yeah. I, I mean, Look, I'm I'm a Wisconsin native, and and I've been a journalist in Wisconsin for um, two decades. I think the the ridiculous attacks on on the state or the state's justice system um, they're a little over the top. I mean, let's not forget that this is the same state that exonerated Stephen Avery too. Um, so, like any complicated criminal justice system, um, there are pieces of it that are broken. There, there's no question about it. And there are elements of, um, of law enforcement. Um, yeah, you know, it, it, the Man Manitowoc County Sheriff's Department does not represent all law enforcement in the state of Wisconsin. Um, you know, Ken Kratz doesn't represent all prosecutors in the state of Wisconsin. Um, so the the absolute black and white view that that some of the national audience um, has embraced is it's kind of tiresome and it's it's a it's ignorant frankly. Um, so you, you'd like to see people um, do a little bit more research before they uh, jump to conclusions. One thing about a local media organization, a very good one, is that it has a real sense of its community. So we asked Terry Lipschitz, bottom line, what do people in Northeast Wisconsin think today about the Stephen Avery case? I, I think that, that generally speaking, um, uh, you know, from what I've heard and just from seeing Facebook comments, the, the, the general consensus has been that uh, the right person was convicted. I, I've, you know, I, I don't hear a lot of people saying that, hey, you know, here's somebody that that 
got a raw deal twice. Um, and, and I think, and, and I don't know, you know, looking back at it, I, I always felt like there was, uh, um, you know, at the time, it, it felt like a lot of people presumed he was guilty. Um, uh, but, you know, just from me being there um, and, and watching it over, unfold over the course of six weeks, I, I he did present his his defense team did present a, a very compelling case on his behalf. So, um, you know, taking emotion out of it, um, and and you know, you, you feel horrible for the Hallback family because they lost a daughter, a sister. Um, it, but it it's it, it it was a very compelling defense case on his side, and and I'm, I'm glad I wasn't on the jury because I I, <laughs> I I would hate to have to you know have that weighing on me. So Shannon, are you ready to start watching Making a Murderer now? Absolutely. I'm so fascinated by everything to do with this case. And having the backstory, the real story from the reporters who were on the ground covering it, being transparent as possible, delivering all the facts to their audience, I feel like I have an even better understanding going into watching this documentary. Our thanks to Joel Christopher and Terry Lipschetz for their time. I'm Jim Lenahan. I'm Shannon Ray Green. We'll be back with more stories about journalism throughout 2016 on The Full Story. Thanks for listening. Thanks.